0: Welcome to Startup Stories where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their personal stories on success, failure and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Lina, thank you for joining me on the Startup Stories podcast. For those that have never heard of you or seen you before, can you give them a brief introduction into who you are?
1: Yeah, hi Jordan, thanks for inviting me. Um, my name is Lina, I'm 30 years old, come from a small town, uh, close to Hamburg in the north of Germany. Work at uh, Candice. I'm the CEO of Candice, uh, living in Berlin currently.
0: And yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. That is perfect. I appreciate the introduction. So, you know, when know, when I get to know someone, I'd like to run it back to their earliest memory from their childhood. What springs to mind when I ask you that?
1: Childhood, Okay. It's not that early in my childhood, I guess, but one thing I always remember is I so I was living in a village and I was taking the same bus every morning to like get to primary school, get to high school, to university, and there was always the same people in the same bus. So I was like very early in my life, had I think twelve years, yeah, twelve years, even longer, thirteen years, I took exactly the same bus with exactly the same people almost every day. That was quite an interesting uh, thing because you met exactly the same people like every day, 7 a.m. Um, that was, I think that's the that's like the most vivid memory I actually have of my childhood.
0: Why does that memory stick out for you?
1: I guess I like consistency. Uh, I value long-term relationships. It was some form of a camaraderie. I don't know, like <laughs> it's... Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's like people that uh, many times we didn't even talk or so, but we always like shook hands, said hello every day, and then just went on with our lives. And then we took the same bus uh, back most of the time, right? So it was a, I don't know, I don't know why, but it was quite a a, because when we went, for example, if we wanted to go to a club or so, uh, we always had to come back together, right? Because there was no way to get. So there was the bus at 11 p.m. Or the bus at uh, 4 a.m. So it, you had to take a decision. And you always had to take it as a group, right? Because, um, yeah, you didn't want to be the one, the only one going until 4 a.m., right? So uh, it was quite an, interesting, quite an interesting time and also quite an interesting experience to live in a village like outside of a city. You
0: just you to be punctual <laughs> to not miss that <laughs> bus. You don't want to miss that bus. Uh, okay, so where did you grow up? So I grew up, it's a village called
1: Ova. It's south of Hamburg. It's uh, where the the river, like, splits into two parts. I don't Nobody knows about it. There's, like, 500 people. Yeah. Not a lot going on there. Lots of cows, sheep.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What was life like growing up there for you?
1: It was quiet. Lots of animals, nature. It uh, was... There was not really anything to do there. There was a football field and... uh, Public pool, and that was it. Right, you could just like visit friends, but otherwise, you always had to go to. I mean, Hamburg is quite a big city, but that was always I think to get to the
0: center was an hour. Okay. So yeah, it was quite childhood. So you had the simple nature pleasures of life. Yeah, <laughs> and the smells. <laughs> the smells most certainly. Okay, so give me uh, an idea. So you're you, you grew up in a. A family, or was it? Did you have any brothers and sisters, any siblings, or anything like that?
1: No, I have a super small family. I have uh, no siblings, like parents, grandparents, um, obviously, but uh, also not very close with cousins, aunts, any of that. So it's uh, really small. My wife's family, she's Mexican, they are like 120 people on her mom's side. Wow. So, yeah.
0: so who had the biggest influence on you when you were growing up?
1: I mean I guess at the start definitely my parents I mean they weren't like they never pushed me really to do anything I had to be good at school but as long as that was the case I could really do a lot of stuff that I wanted started playing drums from a very early age and I do think that especially one of my later teachers that was a big uh, big influence because I dedicated a lot of time in my life to um, getting good at like playing an instrument so that's
0: definitely something that sticks out Okay. And can you think of a pivotal moment in your life where that person perhaps changed who you are today?
1: Yeah, so I was always pretty good at playing drums. I was usually in, like, wherever I was, kind of, like, the best, and, you know, uh, that was always a big part of my identity. And when I went to that teacher uh, in the... Uh, I guess I grew a little bit arrogant of my... Uh, capabilities and uh, in the very first lesson I had with him he basically said like huh okay so there's, <laughs> we have a lot of work to do so it was a very very humbling moment it was the first person that actually didn't like, in my whole life that actually said something other than oh my god this is great but he said like much rather the opposite right said oh mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff we we can improve um, I still remember that and I really like respected that and I think I was always drawn to stuff that was very radically different than what I thought. I really like when people tell me I'm really wrong, <laughs> at least if there's a, like substance to it. So yeah,
0: that's that's one thing I really remember. Yeah, that's a very interesting take because like you say, everyone likes to be praised and rewarded and get recognition, but very few people like criticism, do they? But of course, if you can channel in a different mindset, actually someone telling you you can prove here and here probably be the best thing for you.
1: I, I mean, it's not fun, right? I mean, <laughs> and that moment it, it sucked. Uh, but over time, I guess there's like, uh, one thing is that, I mean, if somebody didn't care about you, they probably wouldn't criticize you because criticism is not fun for any, like neither for the person giving it nor for the person receiving it, right? So I do, I do think it says something, like some mutual level of respect if you, if you criticize somebody. And I guess the other thing is that if you do go through that several times like it definitely helps uh, to humble you <laughs> and uh, it uh, yeah I, I, I do think I, I res- the people I respect the most are the ones that uh, criticize me and I do think maybe I mean having some level of self-confidence helps so that you don't fall into uh, like a, an existential crisis so to speak if somebody criticizes you but rather like take it for what it is and then yeah learn from it or don't right. It's it's fine to say yeah. I don't I don't see it like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's only going to make you a better person in the end, anyway. For sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it's constructive criticism. Right? <laughs> yeah, of yeah. course, of course. So, Lina, what was what was your first job? Your first ever job.
1: My first job. So I was, I was teaching drums. Um, I uh, did, it was actually a pretty cool thing from the this, from this school. So they did a program where they took like kids who had uh, trouble concentrating and like problems at school. And then they were like, okay, what's something that we can give them to do? And like playing drums turned out to be quite a good idea. So that was, that was my first ever job. And then my first like job in business was in a uh, university. So that was, there was an email. I I, was, I still remember that email. There was an email saying basically, I have no company, there's no office. You need to bring your own laptop. But I have an idea to do recruiting. Who's in? And I was the only person. Ah, there's no pay. Of course, there's no pay. And I was the only person who responded. So that was my first job. So we did. Uh, we started a mini like a recruiting agency. Uh, yeah. And so yeah, that was the very first job
0: without pay. <laughs> what were the biggest things you learned from that first job?
1: Definitely, discipline and attention to detail, and like something we call it, like a defining what what's good enough, right? Like a certain like a certain level of professionalism that you need to bring to the table. Because my my boss he was uh, very demanding, so I learned a lot uh, from him. But it was uh, you know like uh, if there was a space before the comma in an email uh, to a client, you know that was important. Then. Uh, he would see those things right so that was definitely and the other thing like not being afraid to get your hands dirty most of the stuff I did was really boring um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but there is uh, like some stuff I do today is really boring <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's part of the job so that's definitely something I learned there yeah,
0: yeah uh, I, I totally understand that you've got to do some things that you don't like to do in order to do the things you like to do that's what I've always said yeah. in the the hard yards. Okay, so walk me through your career path then. So you've done this job, and then you worked for I'm looking here, Fedora, a great company, and then you move into to Candice in the very very early days, before the Series A, if I'm understanding correctly.
1: Oh yeah, they had just actually raised seed money, so yes, like they- for people. Two three freelancers, but uh, one of the founders of Candace, he was actually the recruiting uh, guy, so the, my very first job, yeah, so this time I did get paid <laughs> But uh, yeah, exactly like that's how I that's how I landed at Candace. So I started out of university at Fudora back then was called something else, moved to from hamburg then to to Berlin, and then there,
0: after a couple of months, then switched to uh, Candace, yeah okay, so walk me through that particular time then you you know you've got this company Candice very early days far from what they are today why do you decide to join them
1: I was really happy at Fedora it was a great company it was super cool lots of energy lots of growth lots of young people at the time you know lots of chaos but lots of responsibility so I didn't really want to leave at the same time, so I knew one of the founders, Christopher, from, from before. Um, so that was definitely compelling. And I I guess Fudora had really grown a lot. So when I joined, what, there was like nothing. It wasn't even called Fudora. And now it was quite corporate-y in a way. So you could like close down your laptop and that was fine. Like nothing exploded. And I guess I really wanted to get back to, to the very early days. Uh, I guess I wasn't ready yet for for corporate uh, life. I mean, I'm not a big fan of accounting or anything, but I really thought that the whole like financial uh, world, especially in Germany, there's still so much stuff to do. One of my uh, things that I did at that recruiting uh, agency was uh, gluing uh, credit card receipts to paper um, to then uh, hand them the hand those papers to the tax advisor. It was a horrible thing to do, and so being able to solve those kind of things for businesses seemed like a uh, good idea so I just mm-hmm. I didn't even I didn't really think that much
0: about it to be very honest I just said okay let's do it and joined nice and and why do you think they chose to bring you in I guess I am a very hard worker
1: it's it, this is a long time ago like eight years <laughs> <eight laughs> yeah the answer would probably be different than back then <laughs> so I think that I mean back then honestly the answer was like okay we need somebody to do like to be good or like all right at a lot of stuff we need generalists we need people who do cold calling we need people to set up I mean I was brought in to also set up like the data infrastructure so um it was yeah you know like uh, I guess they were really looking for just very motivated people who are willing to put in the work put in the hours and you know do whatever it takes and I guess uh by now I think it's more about that I'm really good at going the distance so mm. it's been very tough years uh, and it's never easy uh, and uh, now like corona and everything so it's 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 uh yeah it's just a lot of work for a very very long time and uh, pressure and stress and uh, i guess that's something that i can endure quite well
0: yes evidently as you say nearly eight years you know six and a half from what i can see here as the coo yeah. Uh, so you must have seen quite a lot when you when you first joined, Candice. How many people did you say there were? Four or five?
1: Yeah, something like that. I would say
0: five. Is and you're what now? One hundred and twenty something, one hundred and thirty?
1: Yeah, hun- one hundred and ten plus a couple of like freelancers, like give or take. Yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting. So those early days, then, when you get that, you just got, had the seed round, and then the year after, you get the Series A, I believe. Something along those lines.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So we got. We Yeah, we went like from C to Series A, raced to Series B. We uh, recently raced around, I mean, the the last rounds, they were like of kind of similar size. Like the good thing about our business is that we do not need so much money because it's actually quite a lucrative business. I mean, like SaaS doesn't need as much money as, I don't know, uh, food delivery, for example, <laughs> we're burning money like crazy. Yeah, so yeah, Series B,
0: C, however you would <laughs> call the stages, yeah. I'm just trying to get a, a picture as well. Because as you say, you've rode this path now for nearly eight years. And from the outside looking at it, looking in, you look at the company, it looks fantastic on LinkedIn. You've got lots of employees, looks looks great. But I'm sure it it wasn't always like that or isn't always like that throughout the journey. So talk yeah. to me about some times where it's been really low and you're thinking, I don't know how we're going to make it through this.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, this is most (laughs) of the past so i mean we had a near-death experience i mean we had a lot of near like it's not uncommon that you have three months in the bank account when you know you are raising money so this was like actually most of the past was close to bankruptcy and i don't think that is so uncommon the lowest point was when COVID hit. so we were raising around we had like a couple of investors who were willing to come in Then COVID hit and all the funds in the world, that decided, okay, like we don't do investments anymore. And uh, we had a situation, we had like a product that we discontinued. So our uh, starting product, we just like at one point, uh, it stopped selling it and did a complete pivot. So complete different product, a different customer segment. And so, yeah, there was no money. We had have yeah, three months in the bank account and had not a single investor who was willing to invest. Uh, so this was definitely the the lowest point. At the same time, it was, so what we did, we were like a very transparent company. So, I mean, the whole management team had been on minimum wage for already several months, right? And we we told the whole company, we were, I think, 60 people at that time. We told everybody how it is and said, okay, look, if you're willing to accept like to get paid less and to defer salary until after we raise the round however much you know you need this will really help you know keeping this company like afloat and uh, every employee almost everybody went down to minimum wage like some people you know when they had like families and everything they obviously needed a little bit more but almost everybody went down to minimum wage so we were able to extend our runway for quite a lot Raced around, had some you know great great investors coming in who believed like in the company, and who were brave enough to invest you know like uh, when like uh, in this COVID environment. So there you know, and then that was really the lowest point, and from that on, that was really all success. A lot of the people who were there back then are still here. We paid them like a a good uh, um, interest rate on their <laughs> investment. <laughs> But yeah, that was uh, that was a very pivotal moment for the company and definitely the the toughest, but also it was a great experience to have like people there who say, Hey, you know, I I, I believe you, because if we hadn't raced around, they wouldn't have gotten the money that they lended us, right? So this was quite a big risk for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely incredible. Like one of the best stories I've heard, to be honest, is not very often you hear about someone being so transparent, like you say, to sixty employees and the yeah. vast majority of them willing to stay. And uh, I always say with situations like that, it's horrible to be in, but once you've com- you've got out of it, it's uh, it's great to reminisce over that experience and then you could yeah. sort of laugh and be happy about it now because <laughs> you've made it out the other side, right?
1: Yes, definitely. I do think there's, I mean, so, so we, I'm mostly focused on like our operations revenue, right? So it's much like a lot of, like inwards focus but all of the investor management the board the fundraising um Christian our CEO does it right so most of like this pressure i mean like i guess that's the big thing about fundraising it's like okay if if they don't say yes if this pitch doesn't go well it's like it's a life or death half an hour meeting right so so most of that pressure he actually had to had to handle and still still has right until this day even though times i mean at least the company's doing like very well so so this is definitely helping in fundraising but yeah he has to handle most of the
0: investor uh, pressure yeah yeah totally understood so besides those those ups and downs which are of course sometimes things that you cannot control like covid for example what would you say uh, or maybe we can relate it more to your position specifically what would you say is the hardest thing a bit been Working at Candice, what would you say is the hardest thing?
1: Many things that I do, I start off with not knowing how. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I mean, like by now I've been around uh, like ten years or so in the, in the, in the workplace, uh, right? But most of the things I did it started off with just being completely overwhelmed and like having no, no idea how to do it, right? So I don't know, we implemented Salesforce CRM system. I did that and I, I never did that before, right? So I spent like weekends learning that stuff. Uh, I had my day job and then after the day job, I did the Salesforce implementation, you know, like so uh, there's so much stuff I do where I fir- like I start off at like zero, and then need to somehow wrap my head around it. So, and that happens consistently. So somehow, I I never work on or I rarely work on big opportunities, but I always work on big problems. So it's it's always at the start. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's overwhelming. It's consistently being able to say like, okay, I I don't really know how to do this, but now I'll dive into it. And then after some months, you usually solve it. And doing that consistently uh, over a very long Period of time in that stress environment. That's that's I think that's the toughest thing about.
0: about yeah, I can totally resonate with that. I mean, in order, especially for a startup, in order to grow, you're going to have to throw yourself into the deep end in situations where you've not been before. Otherwise, a startup will never become an established business, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I guess many times when people join startups, they should also be just aware, right? That a lo- like a lot of the people you're dealing with, they are not, you know, like 25 plus years experienced managers, especially not like at the start, but uh, it's it's more people who are maybe like good at the thing that they do. It's people who are super behind like the, the, the vision of the company. You need to deal with uh, new things and problems and you definitely need like confidence and and a good team of people who like trust you to do that consistently. So I think by now, like the core management team of the company, many of the leadership, they've been with us for a very long time. And that's definitely a very helpful thing. Many of them have also grown inside the company. So that's definitely a a great thing to have that trust to also be able to deal with. I mean, it it also, it's swing and a miss, right? Like it also uh, doesn't work out a couple of times. So yeah,
0: how different is your role now compared to the early days? Given that you're a hundred and ten plus employees. So
1: we have a principle here at Canvas where we are still super hands-on. So I still do a lot of stuff myself. I have ideas that I follow up with. Uh, I we do I don't know like side projects. I mean hiring, right? Like, uh, I mean, many people are also involved in the hiring process. But so I, I do think that I create reports by myself to like database queries. I don't know. Right? I, I still do, I join customer calls. So I actually think in, in a sense, I my job has not changed so much in the past years because for all leadership positions, we really try to keep the people doing what they're good at, right? Like if uh, somebody becomes an engineering team lead, Uh, they usually become that uh, because they're great engineers. So they should still be those great engineers, right? And not have like, I don't know, like all of that other stuff Then then be in like stakeholder meetings all day, create PowerPoint presentations, you know? So we try to limit this overhead for everybody uh, so that the people can still, you know, follow their ideas, solve problems, do the job. So I still do a lot of that, a lot of different stuff. I mean, yes, in addition, we have board meetings, we do fundraising where I'm, Part of hiring is a big part. So that stuff is definitely new. But yeah, so it's it's constantly changing, but that was also
0: the case five years ago. How do you find the market today post-COVID in terms of hiring? Because I know that talent is, of course, the most essential part to any business during their growth phase. It's tough. So
1: what we experience is that actually so tenure seems to have increased. So same at can this also, people just don't, you know, it feels like people don't switch jobs so much anymore, that people don't like to relocate anymore, right? There, were, there was a period where we hired from everywhere. Right now, we try to really focus on on Berlin, where our, like, uh, headquarter is. For the developer side, actually, we are able to find great talent. So that is really incredible. So, we struggle a lot with uh, German-speaking roles. So, because our customers are German, like uh, Mittelstand, so medium-sized businesses, very legacy traditional companies, and finding B2B marketers who are native German, for example, that's a big challenge for us. And uh, especially, like, finding more seniors. So, we hire mostly senior people. We have very few junior roles that we hire. That is... It's difficult. It was always difficult, but uh, now after COVID, it seems like it was even more, or it's even more difficult. We have some roles that yeah. we then just gave up <laughs> after 10 months. Just that, okay, we, because we do not want to compromise our standards. So then we say, okay, then we just do it without that role. And if somebody comes comes around, then great. But yeah, product is really different. UX designers is very difficult to find to find Mm -hmm. the German speaking UX designers. Like that's also a big problem that we
0: have. Do you think that's possibly because of how international this space has become in Germany? Because from my experience when I started doing recruiting in twenty fifteen in Germany, every client I work with have to speak have to be German speaking, have to be German speaking. But now majority of my clients say English speaking is absolutely fine. German is not needed. So do you think it's because of the influx of international speakers saturating the German speakers?
1: That's definitely a reason. I do think we would get more people into the funnel. I mean, applicants, nobody gets applicants anymore, right? It's like active outreach. You have to be like <laughs> smart in your outreach to get like people. But the problem is we cannot decide it away. So for engineers, yeah, very few of our engineers are native German, right? English is the company language. Not a problem there at all. The only thing is, okay, like for people who have to speak to customers, they need to speak German. We tried in the past to experiment, but then you have uh, you don't have access to direct information. And then I, I or we believe that as a designer, if you cannot talk to the customer directly, you cannot do your job as well as if you can. So that's why there, unfortunately, we cannot move away from the German language requirement, but that definitely does yeah, restrict. Totally there. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. So what are the let's run it up to speed with regards to the present day. What are the what are the long term goals for, for Candice now? How far do you want to take it? <laughs> Until the end. <laughs> so I mean so the first thing
1: now with the money that we raised is that we want to become cash flow positive or at least be in a be in a position where we can decide to either go international or, you know, be flow positive. But then we have our core business in Germany self-sustaining, at least to that level. That, that's the the first, like, short-term goal that we have uh, with the next, like, 12 months. So in Germany, there are a couple of things that we still really want to, uh, want to do. So the number one, we release, like, document management as a new add-on. So it's, there are a couple of legacy systems out there still that are very successful in Germany and also in other countries that we believe should not exist anymore and they are super difficult they are like clunky so this is something that we are integrating into our product that is the, definitely a very big part of also our future and then taking that whole thing international so right now we're really in Germany we are in um, Austria but we want to go to Europe maybe some other markets that's definitely the the next big step for us uh, as a company um, that yeah you know, over the next 12 to 20 months, that's uh, like the next super big milestone is to leave Germany. Yeah. But then, I, to be honest, I I enjoy it here. There's so much room to grow. It's crazy how many problems, like we're solving real problems, like accountants, they're telling us the whole day about, you know, the stuff that we should also do. There's so many ideas where we have high confidence. So I, I don't think we will run out of ideas over the foreseeable future. And uh, it's... Yeah, it feels good to, you know, we're not doing super fancy stuff, to also be very honest, right? We are not, you know, not using AI and, you know, like it's maybe not as sexy, uh, but we really help people in their everyday job, right? To make that job better. So that's, I think, a a very practical (laughs) situation.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I was going to, my next question was going to be, what are your personal motivators for doing what you do? Why do you get out of bed every morning? still just as uh, ambitious to do what you do but i think you kind of answered that there already but perhaps you can elaborate on why you do what you do personally
1: and so it's like twofold the number one is kind of specific uh, because yeah i i really like solving a real problem so at foodora again great company and everything but i just i don't think that food delivery is such an existential thing that makes the world a much better place. But, you know, if I now see like an accountant who doesn't need to, you know, send or carry paper folders from office to office uh, and, uh, you know, people don't like them because they always come and are like annoying because they need their invoice approval and they are now happy and they say, wow, this is super cool. My life is better now. So like solving a real problem, I think that's that's definitely something I really like with a business model that Hmm. makes money. So, you know, that we actually have a margin that we actually generate money because, you know, in, in tough times, we always have the opportunity to think about how can we accelerate growth because the growth actually brings in a lot of money, right? So, where if you're in a cash-heavy business where you make very little money or very little profit with your operations, you can only cut costs, right? So, so this is definitely like a working business model that that makes economical sense. That's something that I really need and like. But the second thing is I always found it interesting how people put in their LinkedIn profile like X yeah. Google, X Facebook, right? So because that's it seems to, you know, they're like these companies where like, oh, people who have worked there, they are very good, right? They're very innovative. Or I don't know. So I mean, I don't want people to leave Canvas, right? But if they do, I want Canvas to be like recognized as this place where, you know, if you hire somebody who has worked at Candace that you're like, ah, that's a person that is, you know, a good team player, is very competent, that, uh, you know, is not afraid to take on responsibility, right? So, this is this is my my personal long-term goal that Candace becomes that brand in the employer market,
0: yeah. And I have no doubt. I mean, I, as I said to you prior to this, I've always followed Candice from afar, from the very early days. And to see where you are now is uh, nothing short of brilliant. I'm sure that you have a big part to play on that from The early days which leads me on to my last question if there was someone else in a similar position to you and let's say fedora and you know a new opportunity comes along where it is an early stage startup or maybe from the very beginning it's just an idea obviously there's a lot of risk involved in that but if there is a huge potential with that company what advice would you give to that person that's perhaps on the fence of taking a jump in something new like that?
1: I think I had the advantage that when I joined Candace, I didn't need a lot of money. Right, I was uh, like, I basically said, okay, look, what's the amount of money that I need right to sustain my my way of life? And then if you can take that risk at your young age, amazing. Because even if it doesn't work, like it doesn't really. Like I was always prepared that Candice didn't work at the start, right? After like three, four years, I was like, okay, no, this is it. But so from the very start, I was like, okay, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I will, I will learn a lot of stuff and I can afford to take the risk uh, right now uh, if I'm being very honest. So I would always, I, I didn't, I think a lot and I overthink a lot, but I somehow didn't really think a lot about joining Candice. It was a very quick decision same as all my jobs my very first job I didn't think a lot I just like took it right same as like the fedora thing was also like a very I don't know like it was a like in the moment decision which is not very like me but so if you if you can take the risk I would I would always do it like if you have you know the the financial freedom to you know let's say it doesn't work out you get your unemployment I mean that Germany is great in that regard that you get like unemployment uh, money, right? And so if with that you can cover your like living expenses, then that part I wouldn't overthink. I would always do it because I also think it's it's cool. Even if it actually, we like people who come from companies who went bankrupt more than from companies who are who were really successful, because I mean, sure, you can be a very Great sales rep as Salesforce, but it's really hard. Like it's really hard selling a product that is like shitty with a lot of bugs. It's much easier to sell like the market leader in a certain software category, right? So we actually like people who who come from companies who who struggled who for a long time, you know, try to get to product market fit. That's a very compelling attribute to have. So yeah,
0: I would not overthink it. I would always take the risk. Yeah, I 100% agree with that because. Those people that have come from those bankrupt companies have definitely had a lot more adversity and to have stuck at it till the very end shows a lot of resilience and discipline. Whereas, like you say, someone at Salesforce, for example, that have had no real adversity, probably other than the experience of learning the new way of the the way the company does things, but nothing like what you'd get a, a company that's gone bankrupt.
1: Yeah, I guess you saw yeah. other problems there, right? But I guess the for us, at least, the more relevant experience is the endurance and the constant experimentation, and the, yeah, like that's that's
0: definitely Absolutely. the compelling thing for us. Well, you know. Lina, thank you so much for joining me on the Start of Story podcast. It was fantastic to learn all about your journey from the very early days to where you are now. Uh, you obviously demonstrate a lot of resilience. Someone that you strike me as someone that doesn't really. Procrastinate too much, you weigh up the pros and cons and make a decision and that's obviously what's got you to where you are today. So thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks Jordan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. Of course, we'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. For updates and additional content and lastly if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about then let me know all feedback is appreciated thanks for listening and I'll see you next time